we've been in the book of Psalms now. This is our fourth week, and today we're going to talk to you about dealing with foes and distress. Anybody have an enemy or some foe in your life, something that defeats you? Huh? Any? Ah, you are. There are lying, Marty. The only one person <laughs> raised their hand. Um, we all have foes and distresses. I, I mean, I would think everybody could raise their hand, huh? Um, what I have found that most people, most Christians, let's, let's bring it where the rubber meets the road, have religion but not relationship. They have a religion. I'm part of a church. I have a list of do's and don'ts. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with those that do. That, that's what we consider church. Is, is It's a religion, and we have a list of do's and don'ts that we try to keep, and in turn, say, I'm a Christian. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, because you're a Christian only by the blood of Christ, not what you do or don't do. Christ died for you. He paid the price of, for your sins on the cross. He give you salvation as a free gift, and he preserves you till he comes back for you someday. That's, that's Christianity in a nutshell. Religion and relationship, though, differ. I was pa assistant pastor, uh, youth director, associate uh, of, a, uh, of a church um, for... I can't tell you how many years. I have to go back and think. Uh, that's not really. But I had religion. I was saved and was a Christian but didn't have relationship because I was trying to keep my list of I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run with those that do. Nothing wrong with a list. Uh, I don't know that any of that saves you. Or, uh, well, I do know. None of that list saves you, nor does it keep you saved. It just makes you a good Christian. You know, and there's nothing wrong with some of the stuff that's on our that, that churches put on our list, but they don't have a relationship. Relationship is what I'm going to talk to you this morning about that David had whenever he was distressed or had foes in his life. Last week we talked about it quieted our heart. You know, how do we get peace from what did he do? He humbled himself. He had hope. He was honest with God about his sin. He prayed and said, God, forgive me of the things that I've done. That's how he quieted himself within. This morning, I'm going to tell you what he did without, what he did outwardly as a result of having foes or was distressed. And so it's this week, literally, in Psalms 3 and 4, uh, we're going to do Psalms 4, but in Psalms 3 and 4, you cannot help but come to the conclusion that there are a pair. So if you're reading through the Psalms, Psalms 3 and 4 is a pair. Um, David, um, he, he, he had wrote these under huge duress, under stress. His foe was his own son, Absalom. Um, he had been forsaken by his son, his eldest son, I believe, and who was disloyal. He had turned many of his followers and his own subjects against, against him, uh, against his dad, and he had actually started a coup 
against David and against the throne. Um, and, and these two psalms um, are what David does about distress and his foe, who is actually his son, that during this time of huge stress in his life. It is also the first time, these two psalms, that we see the chief musician. You'll see a title across the top that says the chief musician. It, 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 don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because it, it, the chief musician was simply the custodian or the caretaker of the sacred psalms that David would write uh, in the tabernacle which was or the temple. That was his job. The chief musician was to take care of these psalms or songs as they were that they sang. And so uh, I personally, um, I find it uh, a wonderful thing that David could turn um, his distress, all this stress that he had on his life of his son trying to do a coup against him and kill him, um, I, I find it amazing that he could write and sing songs to the glory of God during that time. Music has its place in your life, folks. Um, and, and, and David proved that. And, and I can tell you, I, I've said it a thousand times before, garbage in equals garbage out. What you listen to, what you watch, what you read affects your heart and the way you handle things. And if you'd listen to something other than garbage in, you'd have a whole lot better understanding of what God is in your life and help you during your times of trouble. So um, it, it, is a, it is a marvelous thing that Christians can have a relationship with God, with, with Christ, the Holy Spirit. You can. It, I'm not talking about Casper the ghost. I'm talking about a Holy Spirit that lives within you. You can have a relationship with Him and have gladness. You can have peace. You can have assurance of safety that God's going to take care of you in times of trials and trouble. He's going to watch over you if you are a child of the King. If you put your faith and trust and ask Christ to come into your heart and save you, He is going to give you peace and gladness if you have a relationship with Him. If you don't have a relationship with Him, then I'm not saying He's not going to watch over you, but you're not going to understand what gladness and peace and joy is in time of trouble. It's just not going to be there. Um, this, too, what David does can be for you this morning if, if you'll take these points and when you face your darkest hours, your battles, your loneliness. God, <laughs> the Lord, <laughs> you know, people say to me, I just, I, I, I'm so troubled, I, I can't get rest. You're not going about it right because the Lord gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. That's not my words. That's his words. Psalms 127.2. He'll give you rest. He'll give you peace. He'll give you gladness. David sets an example of that in these two psalms. 
Could it be any worse than your own son trying to kill you and take away your throne? That's what he faced. And listen, we're going to listen to what he has to say. Uh, I, I, I honestly think that David has to remind himself in these two psalms not to be angry with his son and, and the rebels, realizing the enemy, the enemy is Satan and not the person that is causing you the trouble. As a child of God, you've got to stop and realize that your enemy is Satan. He's the master deceiver. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy you as a child of God. Just that simple. And he'll do it through your friends. He'll do it through your family. He'll do it through your acquaintances. He'll do it through your job. He'll do it anywhere. But they're not the enemy. He's the enemy that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy everything that's good and godly. That, that, that's, that's who he is. That's what he does, is to kill, steal, and destroy your happiness, your joy. But please understand, your joy should be in the Lord, not, not in the things that you possess and the things around you, your circumstances. So he has to tell himself, and his response is an example that ought to show us what our response should be in times of crisis. And I'm going to give it to you here in Psalms 4. I, I will not deal with both of these psalms. Um, I'm sure none of us want to be here all afternoon. Um, but... I will give you four things that David points out this morning that he did outwardly during his time of trouble. Let's read it together, Psalms 4, verses 1 through 8. If you got it on your phone, on your iPad, uh, whatever, they'll put it on the board for us, but um, Psalms 1 through 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord, get this, has set apart him that is godly and for himself, and the Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of the righteousness and put your trust in the Lord and there be many that say, but who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. And I, lay, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. 
There's a lot in this to package. You listen fast, and I'm going to talk fast, and we'll get out of here in a few minutes. First things first, David prays. That's what he did outwardly. He prays. It's not loud. It's not long. It's a very simple prayer. I'm not saying it's the only time he prayed. I'm sure he was praying daily when all this was going on. But this prayer is very simple. He says, hear me when I call. You ever feel like your prayer's hitting the ceiling? (laughs) That's what David was experiencing. God, you're not listening. Where are you? Hear me. When I call, O God of my righteousness, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Hear me is simply, David is saying, God, please answer my prayer. Please answer my prayer. You know, God always answers our prayers, just sometimes not what we want. It's yes, it's no, it's maybe not now. I mean, you know, God answers your prayer. But we have to realize God's not on our timeline. And His answer is not always what we want. But God's ways are higher than ours ways and He's all-knowing. So, David's saying, don't leave me hanging. Absalom's trying to kill me. He's trying to dethrone me. Don't leave me hanging. He has been praying for God's help, and he is desperate for an answer. But notice he prayed first. He's left it up to God. He's reminding the Lord, you've delivered me in the past. Hey, you remember when I I had five stones and a giant and another army? That's what he's saying. You've taken care of me. Now I need an answer and I need help. You've delivered me in the past. He, he's, he's distressed. He's in a tight place. Ever been in a tight place? <laughs> he knew he didn't deserve the help from the Lord, too. And how can you tell that? That's why he's pleading for mercy. I need mercy. I don't deserve it. But I need mercy. And that's what mercy is. God gives us grace and mercy when we don't deserve it. That's what He did with the cross. We're sinners deserving of hell. We don't deserve mercy. But God, through His infinite wisdom, gives us grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. David's here saying, I need mercy. He gives him mercy. And and he's praying out loud, first things first. He's not devising some plan. He's not relying on self-help. He's not on self-preservation. He's put it all in God's hands. Is that what we do? No, we start devising some means. How can I fix this? How can I get my way out of this? What can I do? I got to be in control. <laughs> Ouch. We, we, we want to be in control. Yet the Bible says what? Ask not and, and don't have it. 
Have not, you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Sometimes the best thing you could do instead of going to everybody else with your problems, with your foes, with your distresses, is to go to the Lord. Dear God, I'm in a mess. I've lost my job because I wouldn't go to work. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason. I used to fire people. They'd say, why are you firing me? Because you didn't show up for work. Because <laughs> you here cause trouble all day, every day. We don't, we don't need you no more. And they'd look at me and say, what's up with that? Have folks steal from us. <laughs> Dale stole from, Dale, did they not? Stole off of the, the HVAC stuff at Ironton, took the wiring out just to sell the wiring out of the big, big huge air handler. And we fired the guy, and he's, his, his, <laughs> I got to be careful. I don't want to divulge something here, somebody, but he didn't understand why we, his dad didn't understand, he didn't understand why we was firing him. People, we, you know, we have to understand that our consequences of our actions have, you know, they, they're, they're going to happen. But we have to be to the place that we understand when we are distressed, when we have someone attacking us, that the best place for us to go is to God in prayer first. Because he can work things out behind, your, behind the scenes that you really don't have a clue what God's doing. And he had a purpose in it. All things, remember that. I've said it a hundred and a hundred and a hundred and a thousand times. All things work together for the good. God will work it out to us that are saved and serving. The second thing that David does is he confronts the enemy. David confronts them in the fact that he was not on the scene of where this result or this revolt was taking place. But he speaks out to them. He actually runs. He don't want to confront his son and have to kill him. He's hid in the wilderness. It's kind of David's MO. That's what he did from Saul, too. He, he, he goes, he gets away from the, the Jerusalem, he goes and hides, and, and he states here, though, the sons of men refers to the men of rank that had really were disloyal and had been seduced or, or deceived by Absalom as he was leading people astray. And, and if you want to read this story, it's in 1 Samuel. You can go read the story of, of Absalom's betrayal, and, but the, the background of what this psalm is really dealing with. But David is aware of their dealings and what they were thinking. And, and his, th this enthusiastic mob was following vanity. And, and, and let me tell you something. They were going to pay for it dearly because... The, the fact of the matter is when you follow vain things and, and believe lies, falsehoods that are not true, you're going astray and you're going to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, people, and cost you more than you want to pay. 
and they're going to pay dearly, these people are. And David knew that. And, and the fact of the matter is, these people were not only deposing a king, they were fighting against the Lord. Why is that? They were fighting against Jehovah because God had placed David on the throne. They were actually following a false god according to what Absalom, what it, what it, it states in, in 1 Samuel and, and Absalom's flattery and his lying promises that he was making against David, his father. If, if we are not careful, we can get caught up in the same thing by running contrary to God's word. If you just follow the principles in this book, you'll live a lot better life. And and the fact of the matter is that, that we can get in the same situation. David did not compromise um, with the rebels either. He knew what, what they were, and he rejected them as he confronted the enemy. The, the sons of men that he's talking about, and listen to what it says. He knew God would deliver him in truth. It says, how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? He's saying, Absalom is following a false god. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David wasn't concerned that God was going to deliver him because he had seen the faithfulness. Man, they didn't have a clue what this message was about this morning, and yet it's about their, their songs, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. It's running after us. David knew that. He was set in knowing that God had his best interest at heart. And even though this rebellion was taking place around him, even though he was distressed under, under deep, deep stress, he knew God was going to take care of him. Do you have that assurance that God's going to take care of you? Is your relationship that good? Or is you just have religion? See, I don't even understand what relationship is. It's reading a little bit of this book every day and letting God speak to you, having a daily devotion. It's confessing your sins on a, on a minute by minute. I mean, some of us, I've got to do it every minute, man. I've, I've got some stuff in here I really don't shouldn't be saying out there. Amen or oh me. <laughs> That's what relationship is. It's attending church, it's giving, it's serving, it's getting involved. It's having a care and a concern and a compassion for lost people in your life that you want them to trust Christ because you know down deep inside they're going to split hell wide open. If you don't stand in the gap and witness to them, this life is just a preparing room for the hereafter and a very short vapor. Why? Because we're talking about eternity. What goes on in this room on Sunday morning? What's taking place in Columbus today is, is 
it has eternal effects. I don't, I don't, this is not a game. This is not just some church service. This has everlasting effects on somebody's life. It's no small thing that someone puts their faith and trust in Christ in this room Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You say, well, did they really mean? That's not for you to decide if they meant it or not. That's above your pay scale, you hypocrite. Did you really mean it? When you prayed? I sure hope so. I I don't know if they mean it. All I can do is give them the gospel and ask them to put their faith and trust in Christ according to what the Scripture says. Then it's up to the Holy Spirit who will do a lot better job discipling them than you will. (laughs) Why? Because He comes and lives inside and He's going to speak to them next time they start off with a blabbering oath against God. You shouldn't talk like that. You're a Christian now. That still small voice that comes to live inside as they have a relationship. How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart His faithful servant for Himself and the Lord hears when I call to Him. David knew he was God's anointed. God had placed him in the place. My pastor used to, Pastor Irby used to say, man, you be careful talking about God's anointed. You'll all be hanging from a tree by your hair like Absalom. That's what happened to him. Third thing he did was he encouraged his friends. In verses 4 and 5, David speaks words of encouragement to his followers. He gives them actually six quick instructions. He says, tremble before the Lord. In other words, those that fear God need not fear anything else because He's got your back. And, and, and then he tells them, do not sin. You, you want to get a real close relationship? Stop doing the things that you know that you're not supposed to do. You say, well, I I relapse. I have problems with that. I do it again and again. Then confess it and try again. (laughs) I was a cusser. Do you think I quit the day that I asked Christ to come into my life? <laughs> Not. But when I'd fail, when I fail, <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. Help me not to do that again. Help me not to think that again. Help me not to gossip that again. Help me not to do that again. Help me not to do that again. Help me not. Do not sin. Sinful anger leads to sinful words and deeds. 
David was telling himself, I can't be mad at them. The enemy's not my son. The enemy's out to destroy me. He's, his assault is against the Lord. Sinful anger leads to sinful words and deeds. And Paul stated that be angry and sin not. He tells his followers as words of encouragement, do not fear anyone but the Lord because God's got your back. These people are following delusions. Do not sin. Don't do something you're going to be sorry for. Be angry and sin not, Paul stated in Ephesians 4, 6, which reminds us, by the way, that all anger is not sinful. I, I, I somewhat remember Jesus turning tables upside down because they turned the, the temple into a, a den of thieves and, and was buying and selling and, and all the junk that went on. It's not wrong to get mad. It's wrong to sin. Be careful not to be angry, though. The third thing that he instructs them, at the sins of others and ignore your own. Now, you know what she did? My grandma used to say, when you start pointing fingers, remember, you got three more pointing back at you. Sometimes we're worried about a splinter that somebody else has in there. I've got a stinking two before sticking out here is what the Bible says. It's a whole lot easier to worry about somebody else's sin than it is your own. It'd be a whole lot better if you'd worry about your own and not everybody else's. Words of encouragement. Take inventory of yourself and confess before you worry about somebody else. The fourth thing he tells us as words of encouragement is be still. Uh, sometimes that's what we want to tell our spouse or our kids. The fact of the matter is, what is be still? The Amplified Version says it best according to the original. It says that be still. Be sorry for the things in your heart that you didn't even speak. <laughs> That's, it, it's the heart where all deceit comes from. Sometimes you've got to be still and confess. Take inventory of yourself before you start worrying about others. David's telling his people here to be still. God's going to avenge us, me. But I'm not going to boast and be proud. I'm not going to be angry and sin because I'm wicked too. I need the mercy of God. Offer the right sacrifices David was in a wilderness and could not offer, but Absalom was offering uh, insincere and hypocritical sacrifices to impress people. How much of what religion does is to simply to impress people? I go to church seven times a week, but I'm going to backbite and stab you every chance I get. That's, 
you know, how much of what we do is to impress rather than having a relationship with God? God rejected Absalom's sacrifices. You can go read it in 1 Samuel. I think all that's in chapter 15. That's where I read that this week. Um, but, and the last thing he tells them as words of encouragement is to trust in the Lord. Listen, listen to what he says. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up thy countenance. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. Sometimes you just got to trust God with all the stuff that's junk in your life when it's all jacked up. Man. David loved God. He knew that Absalom's plans were destined to fall. Absalom was trusting in himself. Absalom was trusting in his own leadership. Absalom was trusting in his own little army, his clever strategy, his deceitfulness, his popularity at the time. He was popular. But his plans were destined to fail. David knew that one with God is a majority. He had God on his side. He knew that. God gives victory to those that trust and obey, he tells us in Psalms 51. Just do what's right. Keep obeying the Lord. Just, just have that relationship. Do your devotion every morning. Go to God in prayer. Confess your sins. Read your Bible. Go to church. Give what you can. Serving, witness to your neighbors. I'm going to have a relationship. <laughs> Last thing he did was praise the Lord and I'll close. He praises God. His leader has informed him of the people's discouragement. Who will show us any good? That's what they were saying to him. We're all going to get killed. Can any good come from this? Who will get us out of this mess? You ever ask that question? Oh, the good old days. <laughs> That's what we say now, post-COVID. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> Is there any such thing as good old days? Sometimes good old days are, <laughs> I think it was J. Vernon McGee said, good old days were a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. <laughs> I think sometimes prior COVID that maybe God has given us this time as a reset. The, the, the universal church needed a reset about the things we were doing, how we were doing it, what really matters. I'm going to tell you there's one thing that matters. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
and some of the junk that we get involved in that is not preaching the gospel and winning the lost really doesn't matter. Disciple those that you win. (laughs) The good old days. David knew God would answer his prayer. He states that. He knew God would change darkness into light. He states that. And that is exactly what he did. That's what God did. His discouragement went and turned to joy in verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. He said, hey, all the material stuff ain't half of what God gives them joy, what God has done for me. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, the Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. He wasn't concerned about what Absalom was doing. God was going to take care of him. In his distress, he looked to the Lord. He prayed. He confronted the enemy, not in his strength, in the Lord's strength, in the Holy Spirit. He put trust and faith and involved, and he praises God. He encouraged his friends with confidence, knowing that God was going to be on his side, and he personally was in God's will and knew that God would take care of him. God's faithfulness and goodness had always and always will prevail, providing you're in God's will doing what you're supposed to be doing. He praises the Lord. God gives him gladness and joy, fullness of joy. Man, oh man. What is it like to have peace during the time of distress when the enemy is trying to kill you? What is it to lay your head down on a pillow and sleep? Not worrying. Not not concerned knowing that God is going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. And he's going to preserve you. His children. My question then becomes, are you his child? Are you in his will? Are you obeying his word? David was. And look at the results. He slept. He had peace. He had joy. He did outwardly those things during his time of distress. I don't know about you, but that's enough to make a Presbyterian shout. Whoopee! Let's stand.